deceptive manipulative. He's also a former social worker and a political campaign activist. Some people in town say the base is run by aliens working with our federal government to conduct mind control and genetic experiments. I'm leaving. I'm glad. Thanks a lot, society, for railroading my ass. Welcome to the Eerie Americas. This is your host, Christy Hull. This is Vicky Ayala. How are you, Christy? I made the mistake of falling asleep on my demon couch last night. That's what I'm calling it these days. <laughs> so I got this couch on Amazon and it's perfectly fine to sit on, but the second you fall asleep, it just destroys you. So I fell asleep watching something last night, woke up 30 minutes in, and now it feels like someone took a like carving knife to my shoulder. And so all day, it stopped me from going on a hike. It stopped me from doing all this like active stuff I was going to do this weekend limited with time here before it starts to snow. So I'm really upset that I'm missing this weekend. But lesson learned, do not fall asleep on the couch no matter what. No matter how tired I am, I'm going to lay my ass in bed because basically anyone that I hate that comes to visit me, I'm going to make them crash on the couch because (laughs) it's it's literally a demon couch because it's so it looks so cute and it's comfy and like then you wake up and you're just like why does it feel like someone took a sledgehammer to my back and you know me I have no back issues so for me to be like this is bad every other issue but not back issues yeah so I <laughs> think uh, I think that demon is age because if you were if we were in our 20s you probably could you could sleep on the floor and you're fine it's so true it's the minute so you true. turn 30 my bed is probably one of the most comfortable beds ever made and all of a sudden in like the last year or so I can't sleep on it anymore and I'm like this was comfortable this was comfortable before i was 30 i get now that these people in their 50s and 60s only get like four hours of sleep and they're just like no that's all i need i'm like oh, i can't wait for that moment how are you i'm good <laughs> also suffering from some allergies watch this show marianne on netflix it's french you can watch it dubbed or subtitle i watch it dubbed because i'm too lazy for subtitles and i um, watch all my shows even in english with subtitles it's a weird thing i right do now. that when they're um, like British because I don't always understand what they're saying. <laughs> but I'm really lazy and I, I'm always doing more than one thing at once. So I'll be like researching and trying to watch. So I watched mm-hmm. it dubbed and I, you have to watch it. I just finished it like this morning. I watched it in the daylight and it was still creepy. So what's it the, about? So basically it's about this writer and she has a horror series, which is something I've always wanted to do. I've always wanted to write like a horror series, which maybe in the future, but she writes this horror series, becomes like super rich, super famous. And then she decides to end the series. Turns out basically that the main like demon that she writes about is really real and has really been following her and has only left her alone because she's been writing so the minute that she stops writing about her like she appears and like basically tortures tortures her and her friends and her parents like it's a whole bunch of shit that's happening because that demon is actually real and she stopped writing about her it's crazy it's only eight episodes and it takes place over eight days and every episode is one day so you just have to watch it i recommend it to everybody like it's really cool but i have to say the french are sick and some of the things that they do i'm just like oh my God, where did you come up with this shit? It's awesome. And it's like scary in a good way. Like it's not like just one of those shows that's like a bunch of jump scares. It's trying to get like, it makes sense. And it makes you think it's really good. The acting is really good. Even dubbed. And you know, sometimes dubbed, it makes it sound like really cheesy and corny. It's still, it's still really good. If I could do it over again, like I'll probably watch it with subtitles instead, because I just think some of the motion is gone when you dub it, but it is really, really good. I know you'd like it because it's a mind fuck and you like that type of shit. Mm -hmm. So definitely recommend it for everybody okay good i'm gonna definitely check it out i just i have to catch up catching up so i finished unbelievable which was as amazing amazing as I 
So I know Marianne was next on the list. And then I've also been trying to read. Really I've been reading, reading right now. Yeah. So like aside from just researching, like, I'm actually wanting to read books. That's where I'm at right now. But I will definitely check it out because I know the French are crazy when it comes to their horror stuff. Yeah, some of the stuff I was just like, ooh, what the fuck? Horror and sex is like their thing. Like, I'm yes. Not- <laughs> so- <laughs> they do it right. So I found something a, a while back on Reddit. And I understand it completely. So, and I'll explain it to you after. This is from Crowd Spectre. And it says, nightmares since childhood. This is what it's come to. It's almost 5 a.m., got up for work, texted my sister, found a nightmare Reddit because I absolutely have to share this with anyone. Last night, I drifted off on my couch and immediately and repeatedly began having sleep paralysis. Perfect mirror of my living room, but I kept hearing bangs, scratches, growling, felt an evil presence. I got up and wandered around looking for whatever it was, and it increased. I became annoyed and remember yelling, show yourself, throwing back the curtains to my driveway, and some abstract flash hit me, looked like a kaleidoscope of grays and black, definitely demonic. I forced myself awake after several attempts and realized I never got up in the first place. From here, I slid off the couch and sat in my chair completely cross-eyed and unable to fully awake. I was not shaken, just tired of it. I fell back asleep. This morning, I woke up very disturbed after having to report hail damage on my roof to my insurance. There's no punchline. 25 out of 30 years of dreaming about being chased by monsters. Towering abandoned dark buildings, basements, crypts. One of my first nightmares I remember I had when I was four and I had to fight Frankenstein's monster and a giant fork. Always end up with a terrible weapon, like a two by four or something. And now the mundane problems of adulthood are the ones that shake me. Anyway, just found it profound and kind of hilarious. I didn't find that hilarious at all because sleep paralysis is like one of my number one fears. I've never experienced it. Neither have I. And I've heard like people describe it. And I'm like, I I think I would die if I felt that. What I found that I connected with was that I've had a recurring nightmare since I was five. I never talk about it because the first thing about the dream is that I'm telling somebody about the dream. So to me, it feels like a bad omen. It is that detailed and that descriptive and it's color. Like he said, he mentioned the shades of color, like the same exact thing. Even though I've never experienced sleep paralysis, I do know what that feels like to live in a nightmare and it's scary as shit. It's kind of perfect because it's kind of like the show I started to watch because she's really haunted by this same lady like throughout her whole life. I don't have recurring nightmares now, but when I was little, I had one and I later on found out that it came from somewhere. Like I had a recurring dream of being in our family car and it kept rolling backwards. But then I found out later that my mom had attempted to drive and like got into an accident with us in the car. I found that out later. Once I found that out, it actually stopped. But I had this like nightmare. So I know I get it. The only reason I think it's kind of funny is because he's like, oh, now the now adulthood scares me. And I'm like, well, me too. It's like shit that makes people not sleep anymore because who the fuck wants to go to sleep when it's that scary? We keep saying we love October and we love Halloween. I mean, I watch scary movies all year, but I've really been like, it's to the point where it's like, I need to watch something else, but then I don't. I still watch something scary. (laughs) I just go from movies to shows. But you know, now that we're in Halloween season, a lot of you, like Christy and I, love these haunted attractions, the ones that are just set up to scare the shit out of you. And they're exciting and they're fun and a rush of adrenaline because why? Because it's all fake and it's all just shit being done on purpose to scare you. But what if it wasn't fake? What if these attractions were actually haunted? And I just was like, okay, let me see which ones are haunted. And let me tell you something that shit is scary because it's a lot of them. That's some really brave ass employees. Because if I found out the place I was working at temporarily was haunted, it would seriously deter me from taking the position. It doesn't deter me from going, but it does like make me think like, what if all the stuff I'm seeing isn't fake? 
I literally had way too many to the point where I had to get it down. Otherwise, you guys were getting a two-hour episode of me talking about everything. The very first one I'm going to talk about is one that I've mentioned before because I've been there, which makes it a little bit more creepy. And it is Eastern State Penitentiary in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, just like two hours outside of New York. I go every year. I went this year. And I love it because to me, the one thing I don't like about Halloween attractions are the ones that are like super short. So they charge you like 30 bucks to walk through for five minutes. And it's like, ugh. this one is 45 minutes long at least. So that's why I feel like you get your money's worth. Actually, one of the things that you can do when you do the haunted tour is they do let you in through certain parts of the prison that other people don't get to go to just, so, you know, like as a complimentary thing. And you could see some of the history. You could see some of the cells. And I really thought like, this is really creepy. I even have pictures that I personally took that I'm going to post up. So they're not just like pictures. These are pictures I took myself. And I'm telling you, I thought I saw orbs at one point. Like it really, you felt heavy in there. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I was like, this has to be a really haunted place. And I must be right because every single search that I made haunted, like actually haunted Halloween attractions, Eastern State popped up on it. Literally every single list. Even if it was throughout the whole world, this place in Pennsylvania popped up. The prison housed some like really famous people, including Al Capone. It was kind of known for changing the criminal justice system. So it opened in October of 1829. It was designed by a famous architect. His name was John Haviland, and he had worked on other buildings in Philadelphia, like the Franklin Institute and uh, the Walnut Street Theater. And when he finished the building, it was actually one of the largest and most expensive places that was being built because it was one of the first buildings in America to actually have central heat and running water. And at that time, the White House didn't even have that. The way that it was built set like a new standard and like 300 other prisons were built just like Eastern State. This new quote unquote standard was called the Pennsylvania system. The prisoners were forced into solitary confinement and watched continuously by guards. It was actually built to hold 253 prisoners, but each of them had their own cell. They did not share it with anybody, and they stayed there for their entire sentence, and they stayed there 23 hours a day, and all they had was one little beam of light that came in through, like, the ceiling. They saw nothing. According to easternstate.org, the prison was open as part of a controversial movement to change the behavior of inmates through, quote-unquote, confinement in solitude with labor. I personally think that solitary confinement is a very, very harsh punishment in itself, and I don't believe in it, but it was supposedly done to help criminals find remorse, salvation, and penance. I believe it just made people go insane. I think so, too. They lived in complete isolation, and all they had was a Bible to their possession. They were so watched that even when it came to the outdoor activity that they were allowed to have, which wasn't a lot, they only allowed two prisoners to be in the yard at the same time and they weren't like near each other. Like they weren't interacting with each other and the guards would place hoods over their heads on the ways in and out of the prison so that they A, wouldn't see or talk to anyone and B, they kind of did that so that you couldn't see anything outside yourself so you could never plan to escape because you didn't know what the rest of the prison looked like. That's so cruel. It's so cruel. So one of the most famous people from Eastern State was one of the wardens. His name was Herbert and his nickname was Hard Boiled Smith. And he was just like really, really cruel. Right when he started to run the prison in the 20s and 30s, they had actually reformed it and realized that, hey, this isn't fucking acceptable and we can't treat people like that. So they actually got rid of the Pennsylvania system because they thought that, you know, solitary confinement wasn't working. But now you have these prison cells that were built for, and you're going to see in the pictures, they're not very big. And now you have like a bunch of prisoners shoved into one cell. So at one point, the prison that was supposed to house 253 inmates had over 1,700. How the hell do you even fit that many people? In By jamming a bunch of them in a little fucking cell. Like I said, solitary confinement is a punishment in itself. And once that was taken away, you had to think of new other cruel ways to punish the prisoners. 
Some of the inhumane and cruel punishments included something called a water bath, where inmates were dunked, then hung out on a wall in the winter until ice started forming on their skin. There was something called the mad chair. And what they would do is they would bound inmates so tightly that their circulation was cut off. And a lot of times it led to them needing amputations. They had the iron gag, which was when an inmate's hands were tied behind their back. They were striped to an iron collar in the mouth so that any movement caused the tongue to tear and bleed profusely. None of that was bad enough. They had something called the hole, which was an underground cell where inmates, they had no light, no human contact, no exercise, no toilet, basically starved because they barely gave them any food, barely had any air, as if complete solitude wasn't bad enough. So they would just literally stick them in a hole? Yeah, they would stick them in a hole. And of course, any form of communication was banned between prisoners. And if they got caught, because they would say that, you know, just to try to communicate, they would like tap on pipes or whisper through vents. But if any of them got caught, that was the possible punishments that they would face. You know, I'm already shaken to my core and we haven't even gotten into the ghost part yet. Honestly, I would be shocked if this wasn't haunted because you put so much pain and all this emotional scars on these people. Don't get me wrong. I understand people go to prison when, you know, they do something wrong, but that doesn't take away your humanity. You right. You're still a human. Like a human being. You're not an animal. And people keep forgetting that going to prison is supposed to be rehabilitation and you can't rehabilitate someone can by doing this to them. rehabilitate somebody by doing cruel and unusual punishments? Exactly. And so the prison closed in 1971. So that's less than 50 years ago. And since then, it's been featured on a lot of paranormal shows. We all know my favorite on the Travel Channel, Ghost Adventures. But it's also been on Most Haunted Live, Sci-Fi's Ghost Hunters, which is another one that I like, and MTV's Fear. And every year, the paranormal researchers visit and report that they, of course, experience paranormal activity because you can't put that much pain in one place and not expect it to stay there. And it's not just the researchers. There have been stories from visitors, staff, guards, former inmates, and these stories date back to like the 30s. So obviously something's going on. One of the most well-known stories that I found, and I found this in several different articles, came from a guy named Gary Johnson. He was a locksmith. In the early 90s, he was working in cell block four, and he was trying to open a 140-year-old lock. And he said that, quote, a force gripped him so tightly that he was unable to move. Then he said he felt like a horrible negative energy and like this out of body experience. And he felt like literally the energy was pulling him. Like it was just call it. Like it, it, it just engulfed him and it was he was being pulled by the negative uh-huh. energy right um, and then he said he started seeing like these anguished faces all around the cell block and they just kept like calling him to them he said that it's the experience was so vivid for him that if he anytime he speaks about it he's still like like goosebumps and he's still scared mm-hmm. and a lot of people said that they believe that when he removed that key he kind of opened like a gateway to the past and all the horrible shit that went on there and kind of gave the spirits a way to get out maybe It's interesting that something that can be a physical representation of something can manifest into something actual. It's, I always found that super interesting. Like every scary movie, you know, you hear about like haunted furniture or furnishings. It's, it's interesting how people tie themselves to something so physical in the real world, you know, like, and it was so fascinating, literal too, because you literally unlocked them from being trapped inside this cell. It was so literal found that story. Like, and I kept seeing it. And I'm like, this is really creepy. And another one that's kind of crazy came from one of Eastern States most famous prisoners, mobster Al Capone. 
He only served eight months from 1929 to 1930. And I'm going to put up pictures of what the cells look like. And of course, his cell was considered luxurious. It, they actually, when you go there, you can see a replica of his cell, not the actual cell, because at this point, they're all kind of torn down. And they think they said, I don't know if it was a fire or that they just lost the documentation that told them exactly which one was his cell, but they did replicate a cell that looked exactly the way it did when he had it. This shit had a desk, a lamp, paintings, rugs, an armoire, a radio, things that nobody else had. But even with all that, apparently Capone complained throughout his incarceration that he was being haunted and tortured by the ghost of a man named James Clark. The interesting thing is that James Clark was one of the victims of the St. Valentine's Day Massacre in Chicago. If you don't know what that is, the St. Valentine's Day Massacre was a gang rivalry. Al Capone was leading it, and it resulted in the death of seven of the members of Chicago's Northside Gang. So this is something he did. And apparently... Something he did haunted him. Right. Oh, no. Mm. Something that you did came back to haunt mm. you. Go figure. Right? And so he was reported to basically every single night wake up screaming in terror at a man named Jimmy. He would then beg and plead for Jimmy to go away and leave him alone. But night after night, Jimmy would just keep coming and he would just keep scaring him. And remember, they were closely watched. And the guards said that even though they closely watched him and they constantly checked on his cell, they never saw anything. They never identified anything. This was just something that was only haunting Capone. Not that I feel that bad because like, dude, you led to his death. But I just think it's interesting that it followed you to prison and haunted you for the eight months that you were in there. Oddly enough, with all the like stuff that went on in this prison, executions were not done there. But it did still have its fair share of death. So like they didn't do like any, even when they were, there were inmates on death row, they weren't actually executed at Eastern State. It does have its fair share of murders. It said at least two guards were murdered over the years and many of the inmates. I spent, a really long time trying to figure out what happened to these guards and what, and I cannot find the murders anywhere. I'm going to keep looking and maybe I'll do an update later, but I literally found nothing on people that were murdered, like the guards that were murdered in there. Is it but possible it was so far back that they don't even have the records? It's possible, or they try to hide them, so they mm-hmm. never, never wrote them down. But I did find like other reasons for a lot of the deaths in there. And it's exactly what you would expect. People died from disease because that's what happens when you put a bunch of people in there with nothing. Starvation, which is one of the punishments. Cold because it's freezing. And, you know, a lot of them lived out their days there. So a lot of them did die from old age. But with all this death and torture and sadness in one place, of course, you're going to find paranormal activity. So visitors that have come to visit the prison have reported hearing weeping, giggling, and whispering. Did you hear any of that? I didn't really hear that, but there's a lot of echoes there. So it's just like a creepy place to be. So a lot of the stuff that I heard were probably other people, but there's a lot of echoing in there and it just feels very heavy. But looking into the cells is where I felt the most creeped out because they let you look into like the old cells and like they're all kind of like torn down. There's bricks all over the place. And I'm telling you, I saw orbs. You don't have to believe me. You feel like you were being looked back at you. Right. Which is crazy because that's one of the things that the people say is they feel like when they're walking through the prison, they're being watched. And I felt that when I was there. Maybe it's because it was midnight when I was walking through, but I don't think it would have been any different at noon, honestly. I don't think so either. And one other thing that people experienced is that they said that they experienced like temperature fluctuations, which we all know happens when like a spirit's coming through, like it gets really cold. They have witnessed shadowy figures and they have captured a lot of EVPs. Um, There's a catwalk session at the prison, like just a really long like hallway. And Mm -hmm. one guest said that he supposedly captured a voice, a male voice saying, I'm lonely, which... It's so sad because I don't doubt that that's what happened. Like you're in a cell by yourself all the time. Of course, he's only. Mm-hmm. So that just kind of made me more sad than scared because I'm like, that's just so sad. Even though it's a prison, it doesn't 
seem like the hauntings have anything to do with violence. It seems like it's just a lot of sorrow. Which yep, is it's just even sad similar. people. And, you know, both guards and inmates claim that they had seen unexplained visions, had unusual experiences. And actually one of the paranormal shows, Ghost Hunters, that's one of, one of the most popular things found was in that show when they were investigating. A shadow figure was caught on video in the catwalk session of the prison. There's a lot of cell blocks, but there's certain cell blocks that are more known than others. So cell block four, which is where that locksmith was working, is known for ghostly figures. There have been many stories of people seeing like the silhouette of a guard in one of the towers. They've heard footsteps. They've heard wails. They've heard whispers. Cell block six is known for shadowy figures that just kind of dart along the walls. A lot of people who have either worked or just like explored the area of cell block 12, which was a restricted area while the prison was up. It's known for like cackling and echoes. A lot of individuals claim they have seen shadowy figures just moving in and out of some areas. Again, whispers, screaming, laughter. Like it just, if you do want to get the experience yourself though, it's pretty much open all year. They offer like daytime tours. And what's cool about the daytime tours is you can walk around and it's narrated by Steve Buscemi. And I love Steve Buscemi. I love Steve Buscemi. They have that seven days a week from 10 to 5. But during the Halloween season, after the prison closes from 7 p.m. to like 10.30 p.m., that's when you get the terror behind the walls. And that's when you get to do the attractions. And it's just crazy because now thinking about it, when I was walking through terror behind the walls and everybody's jumping out at me and it just kind of makes you think and I don't know how I would feel because it is very dark and of course it's jump scares and it's people coming out of nowhere and it's like I wonder if any of those people have ever experienced anything while they're waiting to scare the shit out of me did you ever experience anything while you're waiting to scare the crap out of someone else like I said as an employee that would be the first thing that they like if they were like hey this place is haunted I'd be like oh so I'm supposed to scare people while I'm scared Granted, the attraction, of course, is not where the cell blocks are. It's in other parts, but it was still part of the prison. And I'm pretty sure that a lot of things still happen there. I mean, 75,000 people ended up being in prison there. I'm sure everywhere is haunted, but it just kind of made me think. And I did this research before I went. And so it kind of made it more scary for me. You're, you are all energy and that energy gets trapped and you can't just get rid of the energy like that. There's way mm-hmm. too much sadness in one place. That was just the first one. But this one, like I said, is going to be a little bit creepier just because the pictures and stuff I'm going to post are things I personally took myself, which is a new thing for us. Normally, we have to find the pictures. But next, we're going to take a little trip out to um, an asylum, which you mentioned. It is a research center for the paranormal in East Bethany, New York. Don't ask me where that is because I don't know. I think it's closer to Canada. We live in the city. There's a state. And yeah. most people in the city have no clue where things in the state are. So we're, so, we're a little narcissistic when it comes to that because <laughs> we have to realize... We're tad jaded. <laughs> we're a tad jaded and a tad narcissistic because we're like, all right, all of New York is not just us, even though we have most of the population. But yeah, this is, I am pretty sure, closer to like Ontario. Formerly known as Genesee County Poorhouse, which I found out poorhouse was another word for like asylum. It opened in January of 1827. It was made to be a place where people who couldn't take care of themselves would come to live. But what I find interesting is who is considered people who cannot take care of themselves. You kind of think of, you know, disabled or maybe had a mental illness. No, orphans, widows, because God forbid a woman doesn't have a man. She obviously can't take care of herself. I mean, it is 1827, so. But also the mentally ill, the elderly, and criminals, and those who were disabled. I know how that sounds. So a couple of years after opening, they actually had to make an addition to the property and they decided that they were also going to house people who were too dangerous to be around the rest of society, what they considered lunatics. Are they necessarily lunatics? No, because a lot of people were just misunderstood back then and there was just not a lot of mental health diagnosis. But still, if you thought they were too dangerous for society, you're throwing them in this place where you're also housing just people who are orphans and 
elderly. They were considered inmates. They worked on the grounds. And it remained an asylum for about 60 years. In 1887, the patients moved to Buffalo. The building also became like a tuberculosis hospital, an infirmary, a nursing home. And then it like lost its government funding in the 30s with the creation of Social Security. And so it kind of was left abandoned. And then in 1974, it just like left like that. And then in 92, it became like a mall. Like it was so strange, the transition. What? It became an antique mall. I don't know. So yeah, a genius decided to make it an antique mall in the 90s. Um, but then in 2009, Sharon and Jerry Coyle uh, bought the building. They wanted to save it. And they also wanted to kind of make money off the paranormal, which I don't, I want to say I feel weird about it, but then I go to these things. So it's like, really, I'm doing the same shit. But according to actual documents that are like legitimate documents, there's at least 1,700 bodies that have been buried there. 1,700. And, yep. And, um, and they're still there. They're there. Not only are they there, but they never received the gravestone and there's like no grave map. So they really don't even know where all the bodies are. They just know that they're buried somewhere on the property. So, so they don't know who's there. They don't know. And they just know there's a bunch of bodies. They know. Yeah, they know there's a bunch of bodies. So obviously it's haunted. This was also featured on like Ghost Adventures in 2010. But it's weird because most of the spirits, they say that roam the asylum are like friendly and willing to lend you a helping hand. I mean, I guess it also depends on the type of people they were before they died. Uh, some of these people, again, were not like crazy or anything. They were just not deemed fit for society. So the woman who owns it, Sharon, she has herself talked about a lot of her experiences walking through her own property. She said that like two months after she bought the property, she was walking through it and she had a run in with a very large rat and it scared the shit out of her. And then the next day, she found the rat dead on the stairs, blood oozing from its mouth as if its neck had been broken. And on the wall was a giant bloody handprint. And so she thinks that one of the spirits actually killed the rat for her because it scared her. <laughs> and it's funny because she knows exactly which ghost it was. And it's the ghost of a boy named Roy or a man named Roy. Roy is known for being the most frequent ghost you run into there and being extremely friendly. Um, in the early 1900s, the poor thing was just suffering from gigantism. There was nothing wrong with him. He had the same disease that Andre the Giant had from the WWE. But his father was embarrassed by him and dropped him off when he was just 12 years old. Because um, he thought he was an embarrassment. And they, all the reports say the same thing. Good-natured boy. He was just a really sweet boy. He was just huge. Um, and he lived his whole life there um, until 1942 when he died. He died at only 52. He was seven and a half feet tall. He was buried in a nearby graveyard under many of the unmarked plots. So his tall shadow has been witnessed by many, many, many people. And they said that you'll just kind of look up. You'll see him looming over you or you'll see him all the way down a hallway. But you can tell it's him because he's super huge because he's seven and a half feet tall. Mm -hmm. But that he's very friendly and always willing to, you know, kill a rat for you. <laughs> then there's... Um, That's real important to have. You can Roy, come kill Roy the Roy the rat killing ghost. <laughs> I would love it because I don't see the purpose in rats. Then there's an old man's dormitory. Um, the corridor is actually referred to as Shadow Hallway, which is always great. Oh, yeah. It's on the second floor in the East Wing. And Sharon states, quote, this is where we see a lot of shadow people. When you look down towards the infirmary section, you start to see shadow people and they look, they could look like you and I, solid. They can be light gray, medium gray, dark gray or pitch black. They could be normal human shaped or anamorphous shapes. They come in and out of the doorways, walk across the hall. Sometimes they'll poke an arm or leg out. Sometimes they'll crawl on the floor. And that can be creepy, especially if you're sitting on the floor during an investigation and one is coming at you because you can, to you can actually see the shadow moving towards you. 
I love how that sounded so casual. You could see this. You could see you that. See that? They might like, stick a leg out. Yeah, like you know, if you look non- over to your left, <laughs> nonchalant. Like like it's an everyday. Like you could be eating a sandwich and you just see a ghost. Like yep, that's exactly what it is. But then again, you did buy the asylum wanting to make money off the paranormal, so it better be paranormal. Yeah, it was a good investment if that's the case. And then on the second floor solarium, there's a man named Jack that has been seen pacing back and forth. People have seen something dark blocking out the light from, like, the natural light. Like, they just see something blocking it. They say if Jack likes you, he'll let you in. So if, you say, if he likes you and you say, Jack, please open the door, he'll open the door for you. But if he doesn't like you, he won't open the door for you. Which I don't like me. Don't open the door. I don't care. Wouldn't you prefer to be unliked by Jack? I don't want anyone to like me and open the door for me. Thanks. <laughs> um, but then, of course, another like area that reports a lot of paranormal activity, which is, duh, the morgue. They say that they feel a strange energy. Like, no shit, it's a morgue. Like, I've walked through a morgue because our- Transitional uh, death. Yeah, it's really scary. I remember when Kurt worked at the hospital and he, we, I used to go to work with him and we used to have to walk past. I'm like, why do you make me walk past the morgue? It's creepy. Like, it's just, and it was always dark. And so, yeah, strange feeling, morgue, it makes sense. They said that people have heard an Italian man in the middle of a conversation. They have a suit that's hanging from the ceiling that they call like a pendulum. And they call it a pendulum because they say that when you ask questions, the suit swings according to what the answer is. So you have to make sure to, show, to start with show me yes and it'll swing one way and show me no and it'll swing the other way so you know which, what it means. And, basic, and that's how you know what the suit is trying to say. So they have a suit that's talking to you, which is another big fat note. Then on the first floor of the East Wing, Sharon says that she once left a tape recorder in the room and caught the voice of an elderly woman saying hello. She believes it's the voice of a former patient from the, when it was a nursing home who was blind and used to call out hello to get the attention of the nurses. She actually played the voice for a former employee and was shocked because she's like, that's Hattie. She recognized the voice. Whoa. When you can distinctly say, I know that voice, that yep. to me is like proof right there, you know? Proof right there. Exactly. So Sharon has a lot of theories as to what makes the asylum a haunted hotspot. Me too, because 1,700 bodies are buried there. But Just, just tear uh, here. And no recognition of who <laughs> yeah, you are. Right. Image of paranormal possibility. That's all. And then she goes, quote, it's the only home that a lot of these people ever knew. They felt attached to this place. Some of them lost their homes. They were, they were widows and orphans, and they developed their own family and friends here. So I think a lot of people felt comfortable here. They didn't want to leave. So we treat our spirits like they are really breathing, living people, which does make sense. That's it. That is all they knew. That's the only family they knew. And the fact that they are mostly friendly kind of, to me, maybe means they weren't treated so bad. I'm hoping they weren't treated so badly there because when you hear some of the stories of these asylums, the way that they treated these people is horrendous. And I'm just hoping that this means that maybe this is a place where they were comfortable and at peace. And maybe that's why they don't want to leave. I hope so, too. That would be nice to hear. Right. One time that you hear a story. Yeah, yeah. so terrible to to people when when they were alive. It would be nice to hear. Exactly. So this is another place that you can go. You can experience this. They have a shit ton of daytime tours and they even offer a paranormal one-on-one class because they do like a pair, a lot of paranormal investigations there. And most of these tours run from September to November. So again, it's Rolling Hills Asylum. So they have their own website, rollinghillsasylum.com. If it's something that you want to experience yourself, I think it's cool that they actually offer paranormal one-on-one classes. I think that's very interesting. I have never seen that before. And they have all types of these tours that include like a flashlight tour or this tour or that tour. It's, it, it seems really cool. I would be scared even if I knew they were friendly. So it's kind of cool that they're just accepting of the fact that like, oh, there's a shadow person. Oh, there's Roy. Oh, there's so-and-so. Like, it's kind of a cool dysfunctional family, but like, put the funk in dysfunctional. 
So I just find it cool that like Sharon's like not scared of this. So like, she, I guess she's really made for this because as much as I love this shit, I literally got scared when I walked into Spirit Halloween today because something jumped out at me the minute I walked through. Like I get scared very easily. I'm. Mm-hmm. You would think that I don't get scared easily because I like it. No, I'm literally the easiest person to scare. Like I'm one of those jump out behind a wall, say boo and I jump. This next story, when I was going back and forth on which story to take out to make this episode listen, like to be able to listen to this episode in less than two hours, I had to keep the story in because it's weird. Because it's haunted, but we're not sure why. Because there is a legend story and then there's an actual story of what really happened. And it's just, you can't really decipher the truth. So I thought it was very interesting. Mm-hmm. And because it's in Jamaica, Rose Hall Great House. It's an 18th century plantation manor and the home of Jamaica's most famous ghost, the White Witch of Rose Hall. So this story dates back to 1746. Um, there was an Englishman. His name was Hen- Henry Fanning, and he was getting married to Rosa Kelly, the daughter of Irish immigrants that were living in Jamaica. And he purchased a huge 290-acre plot of land to build a home for her. But Henry died just a few short months after the wedding. Then three years later, in 1750, Rosa got married again to a wealthy landowner named George Ash. Ash, you know, set to building the the big, beautiful house for her. But sadly, he dies in 1752, shortly after the construction of the home was completed. Then a year later, Rosa gets married again to a man named Norwood Witter, a plantation owner and a widower. And they say that this marriage was the unhappy one. And he apparently spent all of Rosa's money and left her with a whole bunch of debt. And then the marriage ended with him dying in 1767. Very strange. Then in 1768, Rosa gets married again to John Palmer, the owner of another estate called Palmyra. He was also a widower and he had two sons, but they lived in England. They actually had a happy marriage. And this actually ended in her dying. <laughs> she oh, ends I was up- going to say, if this person dies, then she's a black widow. Like, there's no doubt in my mind. <laughs> no, no, she dies in 1790. So the mysterious husband's deaths finally ended. Um, but then he dies like seven years later in 1797. But because they never had any kids together, the both the estates, the Rose Hall and the Palmyra, Palmyra estate that John Palmer owned, went to his two sons in England. But it was put in a trust. And with the trust, you have to claim it. And neither of the sons ever came to claim it. And then they also never had any children. So the ownership of both estates, once the sons passed away, went to a nephew, I believe. Yeah, a grand nephew, John Rose Palmer. In 1818, John Rose Palmer actually moves to Jamaica to take you know, control of his estate that he inherited. And then he marries a woman named Annie Patterson. And she's the one who becomes known as the White Witch of Rose Hall. So now there's a lot of variations of this story. So I'm going to go into the most commonly told story, and then I'll get into the quote-unquote real story. So here is the legend. Annie Palmer was the daughter of an English mother and an Irish father. And when she was just 10 years old, the family moved to Haiti, where she learned voodoo from her nanny. And when her parents died, she was left to be raised by the nanny and became an expert in voodoo. At the age of 18, following the death of her nanny, she decided to move to Jamaica to look for a rich husband. And that's when she meets Sean Palmer, who at this time already owns Rose Hall Estate. Within a few months of the wedding, she became tired of John, and she started taking the slaves as lovers. And when John caught her, he beat her with a riding crop, but then next day turns up dead. Hmm. Coincidence? Yes. So it's believed that Annie had killed him by poisoning his coffee. So now with John dead, the 
Burroughs Hall goes to Annie. She continues to take slaves as lovers and then murders them when she becomes tired of them. She would torture and kill the, and kill all the slaves or basically anybody who displeased her. She set traps all around the property so they couldn't escape. Slaves that worked in the house and had access to the kitchen were required to whistle whenever they were around food so that she would know that they weren't helping themselves to any of it because you can't whistle with your mouth full. If they were caught not whistling, she would cut their heads off as punishment for the theft of food. So due to this cruelty and her practice of voodoo, the slaves started calling her the White Witch of Rose Hall. So they didn't even wait for her to die to start calling her that. So then Annie gets married two more times, murders both of her husbands for their money. It is said that she kills her second husband by stabbing him in the chest while he was sleeping and then poured boiling oil in his ears to make sure he was dead. And I'm pretty sure you could have figured that out without doing that. But, you know, that's just me. It says she killed her third husband by strangulation with the help of her lover, Taku. Annie later fell, for, like actually fell, like not fake fell. She fell in love with an Englishman by the name of Robert Rutherford. But he had no interest in her because she's fucking evil. Well, no, he just had no interest in her. But I believe it's because she was evil. But he was also in love with Taku, her lover's granddaughter. So being the fucking person, I'm not going to say the C word. I'm not going to say the C word. This Being the woman that she was, and she had no shame in killing anybody, she wanted to get the granddaughter out of the way. And so she cast a spell on her. And the spell was said to bring a visit from a ghost that would cause the person who the ghost visited to die slowly. Because, of course, you can't even kill her quickly. You have to kill her slowly. Now, Taku becomes so upset, well, angered, basically, at the death of his granddaughter that he strangles Annie to death, and she finally fucking Good. Died. Then the slaves took her body and buried it in a deep hole on the estate and then burned all of her possessions because they thought that everything was tainted with her spirit. And then a voodoo ritual was, was, was supposed to be carried out to make sure that her spirit could never escape, but it was done incorrectly, and her ghost was set free to roam around Rose Hall. Now, that's the legend. Sounds crazy, right? <laughs> However, this quote-unquote true story is like a lot less dramatic than this. So they're saying that the true story was that Annie was, she was a Jamaican of Scots descent, but she was not brought up in Haiti. She didn't have a Haitian Annie and she grew up with no voodoo. She did marry John Rose Palmer, but he was her first and only husband. It seems that their marriage was, you know, normal, nothing crazy there. Their time at Rose Hall was short and neither of them died there. It said that there was a lot of debts attached to both estates. So something that they couldn't recover from, which is what I, I can identify with that. I have a lot of debt I can't recover from. I'll probably be paying bills <laughs> till I die. Seriously. So both properties, right? Both properties eventually got passed into the you know, hands of other people. And it was actually abandoned for a long time. They're saying that she never killed her husband, that John actually died of natural causes. There's also no record of her ever having slaves or mistreating slaves and good like i'm that, glad because that was a terrible story like, honestly I, if every <laughs> everything else was true just not that part <laughs> good i'm glad because i was like this bitch is in hell and i'm glad right? it actually states that annie died in 1846 15 years after she was supposed to have actually murdered her lover and that she left everything she had to a goddaughter. So how does a legend get so like far derailed from this? Well, apparently in 1868, like a newspaper published a booklet and the they kind of, you know how Rosa Palmer had all those husbands and all that stuff? They kind of mixed the two and kind of attached some of what happened to Rosa to Annie. Mm. And it kind of just stuck there. Um, and I guess because what happened with Rosa was true, it kind of gave it credibility and people just kept adding to it. Some people have some really fucking wild imaginations because y'all came up with a crazy ass story. But my so whole cool. thing is whether or not you believe this to be true, the place is still haunted. 
And what does that say? So there might be some degree of truth to it, right? Because- Something happened because it's not going to be haunted for no reason. Some people claim to see a shadowy figure just in a green velvet riding habit riding a black horse across the grounds. Others say they have seen a woman dressed all in white on the stairs outside. They have caught glimpses of people moving around in the building. There have been reports of screams and the sounds of running footsteps from various parts of the house. The part that's now a gift shop used to be a cellar. There's a lot of activity there, a lot of screaming, a lot of voices. What some people believe is either the legend has some truth to it or that Annie Palmer, so upset at her tarnished name, has come to try to clear the air about what's being said about her. There's been a lot of paranormal investigations conducted with one reporting that a lot of the energy still lingered downstairs, which is where the gift shop is in like a snack bar. Orbs and light portals seem to be in like whenever people take a picture and every single picture, there's always an orb or like an unexplained like light source. Now the location's like this big, huge hotel, golf course and event spaces. But it's so crazy because I went to the website and it's like you click on one thing for the golf course, you click on one thing for weddings, and then you click on one thing for haunted night tours. It's so weird. That must be hilarious for somebody that, like, imagine you're a, hor- you're a terrified human being and you're trying to find a place to do your wedding and then you see weddings and hauntings at the same place. <laughs> like, literally, it's like a drop-down bed. Like, versus like- you and me, we'd be like, ooh. But, you know, mm. like, normal people would be like, what the shit? Like, I'm supposed to get married here? And the thing is, it looks so pretty. It's all nice and green. And then you, like, see the haunted tours and, like, it's so crazy. But it is another location that you can visit. It's still open. They offer night tours throughout the, you know, Halloween months. And then the rest of the year, you can use it for your wedding. Even if you made up everything, why would she haunt it? Right. I don't get this whole, I'm going to clear my name. Is it even her? Is it, is is it confirmation that it's even her? Is it, could it possibly been someone that died mysteriously on the grounds? You know, like we don't really know. And that's, what's interesting about the past when people were disappear or die, someone had to be like, Hey, this person is missing. You know what I mean? Exactly. If not, you could get away with it. It didn't matter. You know what I mean? Now these days, if you kill someone, you don't know, you're still going to get caught. You know, like it's one of those things where it's so different compared to, being back able then? to trace back everything. Like, I don't know how people are ever going to get away with anything anymore. That's what I'm saying. Like, a lot of these, like, serial killers and stuff like that, if they ever try to pull that shit today, they would get caught in a heartbeat. It's just that things, it was just different back then. Mm-hmm. So back then, you like... Could, your secrets would be kept in the dark. Exactly. And, like, your whole life is very Googleable now. Like, you can Google yourself and see everything. So you can, there would never be this... Is that a legend? Is that the real story? Like that right. wouldn't happen now because everything, like everything can be verified. But back then you could have a whole bunch of shit brochure about right. someone's life that was completely true or not true. And you could still not, know, like, we don't know. I don't know what's true because back then they were just like, there was no record keeping, I guess. Pretty crazy. But my next and last stop is Ontario, Canada. Canada. Hey. Yep. And it's a Gothic style castle called Casa, yes. Lo- Casa Loma at a residence. That it was basically a residence that was built for this big financier, Henry Pilat. Um, in 1903, he purchased this big plot of land. And in 1911, the construction started. And the castle was completed in only three years. It cost $3.5 million and took 300 workers to build it to get it done that quickly. It had 98 rooms. I don't know what the fuck you need 98 rooms for. It I covered. Don't How do you clean something with 98 rooms? Well, he had so much money, he probably had 98 different people that could clean by themselves. True, true. It covered 64,000 square feet, which my apartment is like 500 square feet. So that's just a lot. It had an elevator. And this, I kept this in because I thought it was so funny. At, you know, like when you're trying to get gauge how big something is, it says an oven large enough to cook an ox. That's a fucking huge-ass oven. What do you need an oven that big for? To cook an ox? I don't know. Like, that's just a big-ass oven. 
and it specifically said vertical passageways. Why did he need vertical passageways? Of course, to transport pipe organs. Like, what else would you need a vertical passageway for? Oh, yeah. Don't we all? <laughs> we all need two vertical passageways to transport pipe organs. A central vacuum. And then not one, but two secret passages that were in the ground floor office. A pool. You know, you would think that with something this big, there would be more than one pool. There, there was one pool. Three bowling alleys, though. Three bowling alleys. Three. Just in case, what, five people in one room, you can go to the other bowling alley? Yeah, you don't want it to get too crowded. After <laughs> you transport your pipe organs, you're going to go bowl. This, this is bigger than the White House, this place. It like, is. <laughs> and of course, at that time, it was the largest residence in Canada. But during the Depression, following the war, the property taxes skyrocketed. And, you know, basically, he was in a really tough financial situation. So he basically oh, just wait like, a minute. You, he couldn't upkeep his 98 room house. No, no could, way. <laughs> no, he could not upkeep his three bowling alleys. He ended up having to auction off like $1.5 million in art and $250,000 in, in uh, furniture. He did still stay there for another 10 years in a basically very little furnished 98 room house. Don't feel bad for you, dude. And then he left in 1923. And um, so like, just like some of the other locations, it spent some time being different things. It was a luxury hotel for a little bit. It also became a popular night spot during Prohibition, but then the city seized it for unpaid taxes in 1924, and it was left vacant. So in 1930s, there was a broadcaster named Claire Wallace, and she spent a night there, and she was investigating ghosts and supernatural phenomena, and she wanted to do this to attempt to save the building, to use the space as a tourist attraction, because I think they were going to knock it down. So a lot of staff and guests at the castle have shared a lot of the same stories. And they keep saying that there's a mysterious lady dressed in white and she just like mutters and sighs. And there's a man near the stable, like a sad man near a stable. Like they, they keep seeing the lady and the man in the stable. And there's a quote, the white lady is someone we believe to be a maid who worked here in the early 1900s around the time when 60,000 people in Toronto died of influenza. She's been seen in a lot of places by guests or by cleaning or cafeteria staff as they've been, as they've been cleaning up at the end of the day. So mm -hmm. she, I guess, is stuck there in her crappy job cleaning this 98-room castle, which now answers your question. That's how the oh, castle is cleaned. What a nightmare. It's like, that's the worst, to be a maid for all eternity. Yep, and there have been plenty of ghost stories that pop up from time to time, but there were a few stories that, you know, the, the, there's a couple of that just keep popping up over and over and over again. Some have also actually said that they saw Sir Henry Pallott and his wife, Lady Mary. Uh, there was a report of a young boy who kept seeing a man standing at the second floor window. Quote, he told a staff member who panicked because the second floor was supposed to be locked down. She asked the boy to describe the man, and the boy's description matched Sir Henry. So she took the boy to look at photos and asked, do you see the man here? The boy pointed to the picture of Sir Henry and said, that's him. Why is he so mad? So it looks like he, even though he left the property in the 20s, maybe he just never really left it. And he's mad probably because he couldn't keep up with it. I mean, that's what you get for building a, you built a 98-room house. What did you think was going to happen? There's also been a lot of mediums have come there. So according to the mediums, him and his wife are not trapped there. They're saying that they're choosing to be there because they were ousted after they couldn't keep up with it. So they refuse to leave. So like they're mm -hmm. choosing to be there. They're not stuck mm -hmm. there. Can't let it go because it's not like they gave up the property willingly or they sold the property. It's they couldn't upkeep it. They kicked them out. And now they don't want to let it go in death. Quote, a lot of mediums say they come back in what's called a visitation state because they didn't have the castle very long. But mm -hmm. it's just very interesting that you can just choose where you haunt. Yeah, I guess that's... They didn't I even die there. I would hope you could have the opportunity to haunt wherever the hell you want because 
guess what? There's going to be a lot of y'all that are going to get scared. That's all I'm saying. Right? I already, I told everybody, I'm like, y'all better pray I don't die before you because I'm going to haunt the shit out of you. I threaten that to Charlie all the time. I'm like, you better. Uh, you know how, like, you see these movies and these wives are like, if I die, I want you to be happy? Fuck that, Ryan. I've already told you this in person, but I'm going to tell you this right now. I don't want you to be happy if I die before you. I don't want you to get married and live another happy life. I want you to think about me every fucking day until you die, and I'm going to make sure that you do. And I'm not even going to haunt you at night. I'm going to haunt you during the day. I'm going to haunt you all day. Men will remarry in like three to six months, and I'm like, no. Because they can't handle being by themselves. Yeah, I was like, I will haunt your ass. You need to mourn my ass for one solid year. I said, then you can start dating. Not even like you can remarry. You can start dating in one year so you're saying forever i'm saying just give me 365 days if not my ass you'll see my ass and i and i tell all people that i'm gonna haunt them i was like i'm not gonna be one of those ghosts that waits for you to go to sleep no i want my <laughs> i want my friends to sleep i'm haunting you during the fucking day though because every time you go out to do something that you would have normally invited me to i'm still going that's the kind of mm-hmm. ghost i'm gonna mm-hmm. be so I, I, I hope gonna i'm gonna be a raging ghost <laughs> i am i'm gonna be at every fucking concert but then they said that the t- there's a tunnel because, you know, they had all these secret fucking passageways because this shit was huge. There was a tunnel leading to the stables um, where they say there's another ghost that just likes to roam the tunnels, which to me, when you if you make a tunnel in your house, you're just setting it up for there to be a ghost there. Many people have reported feeling as though they've been grabbed or had their hair pulled in the tunnel. People have reported hearing a spirit sighing and have captured like recordings, people like speaking and trying to interact with visitors. So maybe like they didn't hear it when they were walking through, but when they listen to recordings, they can hear them trying to interact with the visitors, which to me is kind of creepy. In one recording, there is someone heard to be saying, oh, he's a horrible person while trying to make contact with someone. <laughs> it's so you funny. got called out. <laughs> right. And, you know, there's different types of haunting. There's intelligent hauntings and then there's residual sounds. So residual sound is just, you know, like sounds that get trapped there. So, you know, like, door slamming stuff like that but there's intelligent hauntings where there's a fucking ghost that knows exactly what they're doing so a lot of people are saying that there's intelligent hauntings here where the ghosts know exactly what they're doing but nowadays casa loma is used as a haunted halloween attraction it's called legends of horror it's a totally immersive like theatrical experience it incorporates animatronics props projections and about 75 actors playing every type of creepy creature imaginable ghosts vampires demons and it's nightly from like 7 to 11 until halloween which it kind of reminds me of something here called sleep no more where it's like an immersive experience so it seems like that's what they're using but again if you're gonna go do this it's a lot different when you know that it's fucking haunted <laughs> like do you really need an actor playing a ghost when you've got the real ones but yep that's all that's called casa loma so if something if you're from canada going to canada visiting canada and you want to check this one out Good luck, everybody, to anybody going to these. If you do go, though, I totally want to hear about it. That's really fucking creepy. I, <laughs> I don't even know what to say to any of that. Because uh, now I'm going to be thinking, like, oh, I'm going to be walking through. And, I'm, and while people are out scaring me, I'm going to be like, oh, oh, I thought you were an orb. Like, right? <laughs> like you're going to look up the history and be like, oh, I thought you were Sir Henry. Sorry. <laughs> That's Because I'm not somebody, like, I'm the reverse of you. You can't jump out of nowhere and scare me. Like, a bunch of people have always tried it. And I'm like, ah. Like, you know, like, I'm that person. I'm like the Daria. Like, every, my response is the same. I but laugh. What would be scary? <laughs> what would be scarier to me would be knowing the backdrop to the story. Like that would scare me more. Like ah, you would be that person that's like, hey, there's an orb behind you. <laughs> like yeah. I know you're scaring yeah. me, but there's something behind you. 
Hey, by the I way, actually, guys. I was going to do one in Colorado, but I'm like, you know what? Let me not do it before Christy tries to go on any haunts in Colorado. I appreciate that. Because I so badly, there's like, a, there's a lot of them near you. Like, I wanted to do like the Stanley Hotel because I love The Shining. Um, And I'm like, nope, I'm going to well, save everything. visit next year. Exactly. I'm like, when I come visit, I'm going to make, I don't care what time of the year it is. I don't care if it's cold. I don't care if it's hot. I am dragging Christy to everything haunted in Colorado because I've already done everything in New York. I've already gone to Philly plenty of things out here they're all about it here so that's gonna be that's gonna be awesome i'm looking forward to it but if you guys are listening and you guys have any experiences in any of these locations we would love to hear from you so the eeriemericas at gmail.com please feel free to send us anything you've experienced because we love hearing that kind of interaction so yep. let's get into our who does that 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 I'm going to take over for you this week via HuffPost.com. This is a Florida one. So yes, I found it's not that me. I, like, I haven't done a Florida one in a long time, but this one's too good not to post. It's short. Florida can hate Christy this week. Yes, you guys can bring the hate on. I'm ready. Like I said, via HuffPost.com, $80,000 worth of wigs stolen from South Florida <laughs> warehouse in hair-raising robbery. Yeah, that's- I so want to be one of these people that writes these articles. I can come up with punchlines. Video surveillance shows a truck backing up and ramming the warehouse's front door three times. Miami Gardens, Florida. Police in South Florida say thieves stole up to 80 grand in merchandise from a wig warehouse. The owner of Prime Trading Hair and Wigs told detectives in Miami Gardens that he was notified overnight Tuesday that the alarm at the warehouse had been triggered. Imagine all of a sudden your wig shop, you get like, (laughs) of all things you would think like, oh, you know, like here there's recreational weed. I'm sure a ton of people have tried dispensaries. Yeah, that makes sense. Ton of like banks. Like, who would think a wig shop? You know. But at the same time, since we're from Brooklyn, wigs can go for thousands of dollars. So they're expensive. They are. There's a lot. Like the Jewish community, they require them, and so. I know a few friends have been offered to get their hair cut in exchange for like $500,000 so they can make a wig out of it. I mean, I, my uh, job is uh, Jewish owned and I've actually asked, you know, cause I really liked her wigs. Like one of my bosses, I asked her, I was like, your wig looks like, I love her wigs. Like they're really, really well done. They look very, very natural. And I asked her and one wig is a couple of thousand dollars if you want mm-hmm. it done right. And I'm just like, I wanted to get into wigs because I like crazy hair colors without damaging my hair, but I can't afford that. So I just damage my hair instead because- <laughs> A good wig is expensive. So I kind of feel the, the that I feel this, this a, a little this bit. This is a genius who does that for a Floridian. I'll give yes. You that. Owner Rakib Hossein tells Miami television station WFOR that some of the products are worth up to 800 each. Like you just said. And that's a cheap one too because I have seen because um thousands. I had to look into wigs for, uh, you know, my mother's sick. So I had to look for wigs. I was looking into wigs for her and I was just like, I wonder what it would cost if her insurance didn't cover it. And like that, like $2,000, $3,000. And I'm like, what the fuck? It's a wig. Not even like I wasn't looking for anything long. I was like, maybe something short. So she goes, nope. thousands of dollars. Yep. Hossein says thieves appeared to know what they were doing and were in the warehouse for no more than five minutes. This so, was planned. This they- look into some ex-employees or some <laughs> employees because there's no way you can steal 80K in five minutes. Like, no. How long did they plan this for? It's pretty genius. I got to give them. I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to advocate anyone to steal. I don't believe in stealing and I don't believe in lying. Those are the two things that are... But if you're gonna, do it in five minutes. <laughs> but props to you, five minutes, 80K. Like, I, that is, that's hitting the jackpot right there. Video surveillance shows a truck backing up and ramming the warehouse's front door three times. Hussein says he is insured for his losses, so he's going to get his money back. But <laughs> <That's> <laughs> the, <not> the, <laughs> the big question is, is, 
where do you go for this market? Hey, stolen wig. Like, who, like, do you have someone that's going to buy 80 grand worth of wigs lined up? Like, how does this work? Is, that's what they're I like a black market for wigs. Like, I, I've never heard of, I mean, I know there's, there's gotta be, if you can get a kidney on the black market, <laughs> I'm pretty sure you should be able to get a wig. But my point is, is like, this has to be somebody that works there because it had to be, how else would they know exactly? Like they knew to bring a truck, ram it in, they knew exactly where the expensive ones were. They knew exactly what to take to do the most damage in five minutes. So either it's an ex-employee, a current employee or someone close to an employee that has gone into the store a lot because there's no way you do that much or damage. Or a customer that's like, hey, I've gotten my fair share. I've spent my thousands of dollars. I'm getting some free shit. You know, the, the thing is, like, there's a market for it. It's very well possible. It's for sure possible. That's At least he had it insured because I would think that maybe a wig shop wouldn't, but maybe because they're expensive, he did. Just be grateful that you had it because if you didn't have that, you would be asked out right now. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That oh, was yeah. a really good one. I, was, I thought you'd enjoy it. Oh, good old Florida. You never fail. But I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I'm pretty bugged out, so I'm going to have a drink. And um, Please, I- please let us know any haunted <laughs> attractions that you go to. The eerieamericas at gmail.com. Or, you know, we're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. You could just send us a message, DM us, whatever you want to just let us yep. know. Subscribe. Give us a review. And most importantly, stay weird, Americas. Bye. Bye.